0: Now
1: then, Dustin. Hey, Kane, how's it going?
0: All right, all right. How are you? Looking forward to coming over to the old UK next week. I am,
1: I am. This is going to be the beginning of a busy summer for me. UK, uh, I'll be in London, and then five days later, we'll be at an event in San Francisco, two days later, in Seattle. Uh, and then we just announced that we're going to also have in early July events in Atlanta and New York as well so making wow. making the rounds and looking
0: forward to meeting with everyone Dustin Court's on tour like it
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be I'll be selling merch uh, some t-shirts and, and what else, whatever else a rock band so
0: exactly. can I
1: hear it? I hear you had some exciting news, some Alexa Cup-related news. Very
0: exciting news, yeah, yeah. So um, for those of you that have seen it, the Alexa Cup is a cup that is being run by Amazon Alexa, funnily enough, uh, coincidentally enough. And so what it is, is it's it's a kind of like a global competition where agencies go... And compete. So there's a UK one, there's a Spain one in Spain, there's one in France, there's one in uh, there's about five in Europe, and then there's one in America as well. And what happens is you go there to Amazon HQ for the day. You kind of have a bit of a hackathon. You work on your ideas. You build a prototype. You kind of do a eight minute presentation, and they pick a winner from each nation. And then what happens is that all the winners from all the countries in Europe, they get together and they compete between themselves and there's all the Amazon people are judging and stuff. Whoever wins out of Europe kind of goes to the Voice Summit, all expenses paid trip, by the way, to the Voice Summit in Newark uh, uh, in July to uh, kind of have like a final against whoever wins out of the Americas and I was fortunate enough and hugely appreciative to be invited to take part in the Alexa Cup as part of the Say It Now team. So a huge shout out to Charles Cadbury and the Say It Now team uh, for inviting me along. It was a fantastic day. We kind of got there. We were fleshing out some ideas. We were kind of building this prototype. Can't really say too much about the use case specifically right now, I don't think. but um, It was a fantastic day and Team Say It Now won the UK version of the Alexa Cup, the UK instance. So we're all over the moon. Look at that. Congrats, Kane. That's so exciting. And so when are you going up against the the Continentals? the continentals uh so the semi-final or as we're calling it the uh the alexa eurovision cup contest uh takes place on the 26th of june so everybody who so the teams that won from france from spain from italy from germany um and i'm pretty sure there's a there's, a, there's another country there. i think could be could be holland um so whoever wins that, we all kind of get together. There's a big kind of video conference, and we all present. <clears throat> we do our demos. We showcase our idea, and then judges from each uh, nation from Amazon will pick a winner. So we'll see what happens. Maybe on the next rundown, we'll uh, if it'll, yeah, it'll probably be around about that time. So maybe we'll uh, we'll give you an update on that one then.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. Best of luck. Yeah. Uh, it seems like perhaps uh, Amazon was busy with the Alexa Cup because it seems like the past two weeks, a little bit lighter in news. So, though we did get some WWDC announcements, some interesting things from ReMars as well. So I think we do have some interesting things to talk about this week.
0: Yeah, it seems to be... Um, it's I don't know. Yeah, There was a few things at WWDC. We mentioned it last time, didn't we, when we spoke on the last rundown and we kind of, I think both of us were not really sure what was going to happen I don't think you seemed that bothered about it and I was like well I'm hopeful but I'm not really holding out for anything so we were kind of um, going into it not really expecting much were we
1: yeah uh, I think we didn't expect much we didn't get much uh, and really when you do get from Apple an announcement of a thousand dollar monitor stand? Uh, is there really <laughs> anything else you can talk about other than that? Is that something that's that's on your going to be on your Christmas list this year, Ken?
0: Uh, I'd, I'd very much doubt it. I think I think what that what was interesting about that is I think they purposefully kind of came out with this like if you ha- if you didn't see it then what 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 they did is they announced a six thousand pound Mac Pro. Um, which that's £6,000 is just for the base kind of level Mac Pro and as soon as you start adding things to it you, you, you're you kind of you could be spending forty grand on it then this big huge it's not even massive it's just a standard sized monitor I don't know what size it is but it's not massive which is supposed to be really good and it's about £4,000 and the stand for it is £1,000 which costs more than the iPhone so it's it's mad <laughs>
1: yeah i mean we make fun of it and they're gonna sell a thousand so well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're gonna sell tens of thousands possibly we'll yeah.
0: but i think it will be so so for those that didn't catch the wwdc stuff there's a few things that they announced and when we spoke last time dustin we were kind of as i said we, we weren't holding out for much we weren't really expecting much so i don't know whether or not i'm approaching these announcements with that kind of tinted kind of spectacle on in terms of I wasn't expecting much so it doesn't really matter what would have happened I wouldn't have been impressed anyway but for those people for those people who who haven't seen it I'll give you a quick run through and then you can kind of tell us what you think about it Dustin so the first thing that the, the um, they announced was that uh, Siri has a new voice uh, it's kind of the same voice but it's technically a new voice. So what happened before is that um, there was a they, they did a voice recording of... I forget the lady's name, but if you check out the podcast 20,000 Hertz, the very first episode of that um, is an interview with the lady who did the Siri voice. It's a really interesting episode. What they did is they recorded a whole load of audio of this lady speaking all these random phrases and then the Siri voice became a mashup of this audio and what, they don't, what they've what they done now is with the new Siri it will be entirely synthetic. So here's a preview of what it was and a preview of what it is going to be and see if you can tell the difference.
2: Absolute zero is the lowest limit of the thermodynamic temperature scale. A state at which the enthalpy and entropy of a cooled ideal gas reach their minimum value, taken as zero. Alright, so that's okay. But now let's try iOS 13 with neural text-to-speech. Absolute zero is the lowest limit of the thermodynamic temperature scale. A state at which the enthalpy and entropy of a cooled ideal gas reach their minimum value, taken as zero.
0: She's bound to think that, but what do you think, Dustin? Is it way better? Uh, I think it's better. I don't know if I would have clapped for it, but I think, it, I think it's better. What do you think? Uh, it's. It seems to paper over a couple of cracks. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's okay. I don't know whether or not the average person would notice using Siri every day, especially when it comes out. I mean, we've just listened to that through a decent mic, through some headphones. I mean, usually it's just going to be coming out of your phone speaker, so... I don't think the average person on notice really. Um, yeah, I mean,
1: honestly, the last one wasn't that bad. Uh, you can, you, there's definitely some really bad uh, sp- uh, text-to-speech systems out there, and and Siri wasn't one of them. So uh, it's great that they're improving, uh, but. Perhaps, and, and perhaps again, we're being unfair to Apple. It maybe is an indication of how scant the news was that this was something that, that got an announcement. Uh, there, I, there was some other news out there as well, though, some some shortcuts related news as well. What'd you think of that, Kane?
0: Yeah, uh, it, it seems all right. I think the problem with the shortcuts um, had originally is that they are relatively intense to set up and they're very specific and prescriptive. So for example, you could set a shortcut up for the train line app to when you say a specific phrase, it will then kind of open the train line app and, and kind of take you to that point. So if you, if I like, for example, I always get the train from Tunbridge Wells to London bridge. So I can set up a shortcut that if I just say, Hey Siri, check train times, then it will just check the train times for that journey. Um, But the problem with that is if I want to then have another train time, which is London, uh, Tunbridge Wells to Charing Cross, I need to have a different phrase for that. So I can't just say check train times, I need to do something different. So it ends up actually becoming quite difficult to manage because you've got all of these different... If you do set it up for everything, you'll have all these different shortcuts, each with their own unique phrase that you need to remember. So it's a little bit... I found shortcuts itself, in principle, half decent, but in practice, a bit clunky. What this does is this should based on your app usage, automatically recommend you the shortcut that you should use. So it's it's surfacing the shortcut capability and it's basing it on your usage, which is good, but I don't think that necessarily will get over the hurdle of needing a specific phrase that you define yourself that you need to then remember next time you want to do it. Does that makes sense?
1: Isn't that what isn't that what Bixby was supposed to do as
0: well? Um, I think from what I remember when we spoke to Roger and, and Roger Kibbe and Bob Stolzberg I think that Bixby almost makes that decision itself from what I, yeah. I realize, I don't know if you need to tell it I, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here so I don't know but it, from what I remember I, I kind of get the vibe that you don't have to necessarily be as prescriptive with, with Bixby
1: yeah, you certainly don't have to set it up, but I do seem to recall that it would also pay attention to your usage and and hook into that as well. I mean, that's certainly great. It's uh, again, if it reduces that friction, it's not a true, certainly not a true Alexa, Google Assistant competitor. But if you get more people using voice, then certainly that's going to be a value for us uh, as a community. It's going to be. Idea uh, possibly a value for everyone and get people more comfortable. And that ties into something we'll see later. We'll, turn, we'll come back to it, which has to do with voice commerce too. Once people become more comfortable with voice, they're going to be using it for a lot more. And so we, we make fun of Apple and and they're certainly falling behind and not using Siri to the early mover advantage that they had. But it's it would be great if this makes it more comfortable more comfortable or easier for people to do
0: mm, yeah yeah it's it's similar really if you think about it it's exactly like the in-app actions that google announced at IO a few weeks back it's kind of the same thing isn't it
1: yeah it sounds pretty similar and uh, speaking of following google a little bit uh, google did we talked about this on the last rundown announce a lot of accessibility features at i o and Apple re- announced some of those as well related a voice control, WD- WWDC, isn't that right?
0: Yeah, and... but this is just something that frustrates me a little bit. So I don't want to, I don't mean for this whole thing so far to be a bit of a rant at Apple, but I mentioned last time on the last rundown that I am well and truly in the Apple ecosystem. And there's at this moment in time, nothing I can do about it. Although this morning I did drop my phone and smash the back of my phone. So I might have to do something about it at <laughs> some point. Uh, but I'm in the Apple ecosystem. So when I seen the Google I.O presentation around the what you know when we spoke about having the AI on the device and it's miles quicker. You can get in and out of apps, you can swap and change and multitask and it looked really slick. And the way Google positioned it was that this is the way that will make you use your phone more productively. Yeah. It was like you can get things done quicker if you use your voice to control your phone. Apple the whole, Apple announced essentially the same thing, very similar kind of thing where you can control more or less your whole phone with your voice, which I know that you've been able to do with Bixby or at least the videos show that you can do it with Bixby uh, on Samsung phones. Um, but they they branded the whole thing as an accessibility feature. Also, and and th- that in itself I don't think is a problem because, that, to be honest, that is genuinely a fantastic thing for accessibility. If someone doesn't have the use of their arms or what have you, being able to to have an iPhone or, and to be able to get on with stuff using just your voice is absolutely fantastic. But the potential or the, the, the actual application could be far broader than that. So it was just a little bit kind of like, why did they pitch that as an accessibility thing when they could have pitched it as this is how you can now use your phone? Do you know what I mean? And-
1: do these accessibility features and Siri tie in together or are those completely separate?
0: Well, they didn't say it was Siri. Hmm. They just said it's called voice control. Hmm. So they didn't specifically say that it's a new Siri feature that allows you to do this. Hmm. And, and what this kind of it makes me think is whether or not they are almost breaking up Siri before they've even had chance to assemble it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you look at Google, everything you do with your voice is all, they they put it under the Assistant banner. So the thing they announced where they're kind of merging Google Shopping and YouTube, but then it, it's going to have a voice interface, so you will be able to buy the stuff that you see on YouTube through Google Shopping via Google Assistant, which is the voice capability so they're they're kind of like almost putting google assistant overlaying it over all of their services and having google assistant as the primary kind of interface to most of their services whereas apple seemed to almost be kind of like breaking siri apart and they're saying well siri on the iphone does one thing siri shortcuts are doing another thing voice control isn't quite siri but it's kind of related you know it almost seemed and then and then the other two announcements they, they announced was um you can have iMessages read to you on the AirPods without asking for them. So you get a text and it'll just read it to you without asking you. And the other thing is voice recognition on the HomePod. So Dustin, if you ask for, if you just say, play my favourite playlist, it'll play your favourite playlist. If I said play my favourite playlist, it'll play mine. So they've got, Things going on, voice control, voice recognition, shortcuts, but it doesn't seem to be kind of branded in in kind of the Siri kind of brand. It almost feels to me, I don't know if you get the same vibe, but it seems to me as if they're kind of like, they're breaking it up.
1: Potentially. I mean, on one hand, yeah, these are certainly separate. And uh, I would wonder why Siri isn't the one controlling iOS Uh, At the same time, when there's so little that they're announcing, it's hard to say that they're breaking up or not breaking it up because there's not much really that they're putting forward out there that could be something something separate.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, all in all, most people, most of the time, are using the first party functionality as it stands, although there is there is some reports out there now that are saying that um, I was at General Assembly last Tuesday giving a talk and, and Ravi Lal from Voxley, he presented a stat that said that 50% of Amazon Echo owners use skills, So, but there's still the 50% that don't. So, so at least 50% of, of Echo owners potentially don't use third-party skills. I would imagine that the vast majority of Siri usage, which is the top voice assistant, um on mobile most of that it has to be first party stuff so you could you could you could have the counter argument of well do apple really care if people are using siri for the first party stuff sending text messages setting reminders basic searches then does it really matter for them at the moment Mm.
1: so let me turn this around on you kane you are in the apple ecosystem you're pretty deep in what do you want to see in siri as a user is there anything, or is Siri good enough for you today?
0: <clears throat> that that was a question that I tried to answer myself. Um, I've been really trying to think about that because it's fair enough sitting here with a, with your kind of baseball pattern, kind of like smashing your iPhone up and complaining about Siri. <clears throat> but the question is, what do you yeah what what do you want it to actually do? And for me, what I, I've kind of been thinking about it over the last kind of few weeks, and what I would like is to be able to dock my phone and never really need to touch it. Because it it's starting to frustrate me a little bit, you know, having to unlock, having to go to an email, having to then type out, although I dictate them more often than not now. But to be honest, the speech recognition is not fantastic, so I always have to go back and clean it up anyway. So I would like the speech recognition, maybe it's just my accent, I don't know, but I would like the speech recognition to be absolutely flawless so that I'd never have to go back and correct an email. And I would like to be able to do most stuff um, without needn't to touch it. Open YouTube and search for XYZ. <clears throat> Create me an Evernote uh note that says this. Um <clears throat> you know, check my check if I've got any LinkedIn notifications. Read me out the last person that mentioned me on Twitter. Um stuff like that. What's what's my Monzo bank balance? Uh play I I don't use I I don't use Apple podcasts. I use Overcast. So I'd like to say play such and such podcast and it use Overcast to do that because I don't have to have some things I'm subscribed to over here and other things I'm subscribed to over there. Um, you know, pull up the rundown uh, June, what is it, 14th document document, uh and just open it in Google Docs just do it for me all of this kind of stuff I would I would prefer it to be able to do that because I would prefer not to have to have my head in my phone all the time And but to be honest you could say the same thing about Alexa and you could say the same thing about I, I haven't used Google Assistant on mobile so and, on, and the new one as well so I can't say about that necessarily but that's kind of where I would like it to get to I want to be able to do whatever I want to do without touching my phone
1: yeah, I get that. The reason that I I find myself using Google Assistant more, so I've got plenty of Assistant devices, plenty of Alexa devices, of course, as well. I use Assistant more because I'm so immersed in the Google ecosystem. I use Google Play Music for my music provider. I have my events on Google Calendar. Uh, I have lots of things going through there. And For me, it's very useful to be able to be at home and to be able to interact with it like that. Then on my phone, to be able to interact with it as well. I don't have a car, but I imagine that if I were in the market for a car, one of the key things would be I want power windows. I want AC. I wanted to have Google Auto or Google Assistant built in because it starts to learn about you and you start to build in that context and you're able to really take advantage of that for sure.
0: Do you feel as though you have, um, as, as you're kind of in, so you've heard my experience from within the Apple ecosystem, if you're in the Android and Google ecosystem, do you find that the experience is consistent across those platforms?
1: I think it is. Yeah, I, I think it is. Certainly some things are going to be different if you're using on a phone than if you're using it in a smart speaker. And to be completely honest with you, 95% of my usage of assistant is on smart speaker. If you think of assistant narrowly, certainly uh, I don't know if this is still branded assistant, but I know it was for a while. Google has the proactive notifications for certain things like, hey, your flight's coming up, you better leave, uh, those types of things. So in that case, there are certain differences that you're going to have on your phone especially on the proactive side that you're not going to get on a smart speaker and that's nice uh, it's nice because i have largely largely kicked the phone habit so having that sort of proactive useful notifications is great because i'm not having to go in and check and say hey is it time for me to leave is it time for me to leave what time is my flight where is the flight just when it's time for that it's going to be presented to me and then i can interact with it however i want
0: Mm. So you've kicked your phone habit almost because I know, I know that you kind of give up WhatsApp for Lent, didn't you? And I'm trying to do the same I, sort of thing.
1: I gave up the phone entirely for Lent, so not just really? WhatsApp. I gave up the phone entirely. Wow. I, uh, Samsung has this nice feature where you can put it on super battery-saving mode and all you have essentially is text messaging and phone. Uh, wow. So I had that, and the phone would last for six, seven days. So I would throw it in my backpack. I wouldn't even know where it was most of the time. Uh, and I, it was fantastic. My wife got annoyed with me, though, because I kept saying, you know what's really, really nice? Not having a phone right now, being, <laughs> being present. And being she's like, I moment. get it, I get it. Yeah, so so I, I highly recommend it.
0: Wow, that's so So, is that what has led to an increase or the 90% of usage coming on Google Assistant from smart speakers? Or was that always the case anyway?
1: That was always the case, I think, yeah. Uh, Because before, when I was on my phone, it was wasting time. It was on Twitter, it was on Instagram, it was on those things where I wouldn't really be on Assistant for otherwise. And then when I needed information, when I needed to do something, it's largely when I was at home. So it's it's always been pretty 90%. uh, Again, because like most people, most of my uses of smart speakers are music, lights, weather, time. Uh, Hmm. alarms that's probably that probably handles 75% of my smart speaker uh, usage and so that's going to happen at home most often
0: Hmm. cool I think I might try that because I've turned off all my notifications so I don't get any interruptions from it Um, and I'm always so with the iPhone it gives you this screen time thing so after 9 o'clock I can't use it essentially I can use Evernote because sometimes I'll wake up and I'll have a bit of an idea so I'll write it down but I can use Evernote and Otter and that's basically it. Um, what it is, as it, with the screen time thing, it will give you a um, a breakdown of how much time you've spent in each app, mm. and they will quantify it. So they will say this much time in social, this much time spent in productivity apps. So that's kind of my new target: is to increase the time spent in productivity apps and decrease the time spent elsewhere. So I'm not kind of I haven't kicked it completely but I want to use it to be productive rather than use it to just consume rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's,
1: fri- it's frightening to look at and see. Of the 16 hours I was awake, three hours were on my phone. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's useful to have that, that data in front of you. But uh, this is about voice. So let's talk about some of the other news. Uh, Alexa Conversations. This was an exciting one. This came from Remar's. The details were a little hazy, but the details that they did provide were quite interesting. I'm looking at a blog post right now, and they say that the conversations API, the conversations tooling that they're providing, will allow developers to build these experiences a lot easier with a lot less code and training examples. So they gave an example of one that went from 5,500 lines of code and 800 training examples, and... Uh, The Conversations feature brought that down to 1,700 lines of code, which is still quite a bit, but reduced uh, a lot as well, and only 13 dialogue samples.
0: Wow. That is
1: amazing. Yeah, I can't even imagine how, how that works.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, but what this is saying is that the natural language understanding part of Alexa has gotten so good that you don't really need to tell it in quite as much detail, all of the different permeations of how someone might ask for something in order for it to understand what intent it's trying to invoke.
1: It seems like it, it seems like it's either doing that or it's making the intent itself. It's, it's not entirely clear. Uh, They have the, the beta open right now. So if anyone from Amazon is listening, hook us up, but (laughs) Uh, with only 13 dialogue samples, that's going to reduce just so much time that's spent preparing all of that when you're building a skill.
0: Well, that's one of the main battles, isn't it? You know, trying to think of all the different ways that this thing can be said and all the different permeations of how people can ask for something. Um that's kind of ha- half of the battle whereas if that's if that if that's what that is and that's saying that essentially you won't have to provide quite as much um dialogue samples then not i mean that's just going to completely shorten the kind of design process because <laughs> that's well that's what a lot of time is spent doing
1: yeah absolutely there was that and then there was also the announcement uh, I'm looking at it right now where you can have your skills participate in dialogues that span topics so the idea here is that if the user wants to book a ride or buy tickets or make a restaurant reservation they can do all of that i guess in a single conversation i don't know if this is different or the same of the cross skill scenario that was announced as well hmm. uh, but the voicebot ai title the article talking about this says is not to be confused with Alexa conversation. So it seems like perhaps these are different, but it seems like the idea here is that the Amazon team wants each skill to be just laser focused on one task and then pass those on to other tasks when the user needs it. So you shouldn't have a skill that is the night out skill or the maybe the travel skill, but it should be, this is a hotel skill. This is an airline skill, and all of those tie in together.
0: Mm. It sounds almost. I've got a little demo of that, and I'll play this um, for everybody listening. It sounds as though it's almost like if you can if you could imagine if you could imagine booking a flight from a Google search result page. That's kind of the way I envisage it in that if google is the front end and all of the airlines provide their apis in order to make that booking from the front end it's not using the airline's app you know or skill as such it's just making those apis available i was a bit unsure whether or not it meant that there needs to be a skill set behind it or or you can just make apis available in some way shape or form i was a bit i was a bit confused but where was i'll play this demo and then we can we can try and figure out what's going on
2: Now, we have advanced our machine learning such that Alexa can predict this
0: goal and make it proactive to surface different skills so
1: that the interaction becomes seamless. Let's for the first time take a look at how
0: that would look.
2: Alexa, what are the showtimes for Dark Phoenix on Saturday after 9 p.m.? Here are the showtimes for Dark Phoenix on June 8th after 9 p.m. Get me two tickets for 10:35. Okay, two adult tickets for the 10:35 p.m. show of Dark Phoenix on Saturday, June 8th at Regal Cinnabar Palace Station will be $21. Should I book the tickets? Wait, how long is it? Dark Phoenix is one hour and 52 minutes long. Actually, what are the show times after 7 p.m.? Here are the show times for Dark Phoenix on June 8th after 7 p.m. Get me two tickets for the 7.05 show instead. Okay. Two adult tickets for the 7.05 p.m. show of Dark Phoenix on Saturday, June 8th at Regal Cinnabar Palace Station will be $21. Should I book the tickets? (coughs) Yes, please. You will receive an email from Adam Tickets with your tickets. Will you be eating out near Regal Cinnabar Palace Station? Yes. Find me a Chinese restaurant. Here are some Chinese restaurants near Regal Cinnabar Palace Station. Tell me more about Mont 32. Here's more information about Mont 32. That looks good. Give me a table at 6 p.m. Okay. You'd like a reservation for two at Mont 32 at 6 p.m. Should I book it? Sure. You will receive an email from Open Table with the details. Would you like a cab to Mont 32? Yes. Get me an Uber. Sure. I'll get you an Uber X for two from home to Moth Thirty Two, which will cost about eight dollars. Is that okay? <laughs> Sounds good. Your Uber X will pick you up at 5:42 p.m. Anything else? Show me the trailer. Now playing the trailer for Dark Phoenix
0: a so, so there's quite a lot going on there. <laughs> and I know it was a little bit long. So we went from... And I don't know, again, it's a bit unclear because obviously this is a demo, so it may be that they've just created the most fantastically designed demo mm-hmm. that you can ever imagine and this isn't really a production-ready thing and the reality of implementing it might be completely different. But anyway, on the face of it... Now, see what you think, Dustin, but if, let me see if I'm understanding this right. The first part may well have been demonstrating Alexa Conversations when mm. it says, find me a short time, and then it, she's just about to book it, and then she says, oh, actually, what about half seven? Yeah, book me that one instead. I don't know whether that's part of the Alexa Conversations thing. And then afterwards, when it's saying, Alexa is then suggesting, do you want a ride? and you can bounce away from restaurant reservations into getting a lift and all that kind of stuff, um, that seems to be more like it's uh, the... uh, What's it called? The... Cross-skill scenarios. Yeah, cross-skill conversations. Do you reckon that's a mixture of two, or do you think that's... Do you reckon that is the conversations and then cross-skill conversations all together in one thing, one demo?
1: That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure... Uh, not entirely sure at all. Uh, certainly there's a lot of questions that come to mind with that. Obviously with that experience, it makes a lot of sense in that context. Uh, obviously it was built specifically, I assume for that context, but lots of questions come up, right? If I am a skill builder and I'm not, let me rephrase, rephrase that a little bit. if I'm a skill builder today for most skill builders, I'm doing it for branding purposes. we'll talk about some of the voice commerce things later, but for the large part, people are building skills or building voice applications on these voice first platforms for branding purposes. There was very few, there was very few branding there and it wouldn't make sense for there to be branding there. Right. Uh, we talk a lot about sound design, uh, in Alexa, you can have poly voices in there as well. How does that work in this context? You can't go from uh, one soundscape to another and have that be as fluid as it was. You can't go; you certainly can't go from one voice to another and have that be as fluid as it is. Uh, and even more so, you couldn't go from a recorded voice to an Alexa voice and, and so on with that being as fluid as it was. So I, I have questions about how that works. Uh, if you have to opt into it, if it's going to be partner only, I imagine it probably will be partner only for a, a long, long time. But what that means exactly, who knows for developers in the end? Uh, I know some people question about whether Amazon really wants to bring as much as they can to the first-party experience, which you know, can't blame them if, if that's what they really want to do. Uh, and so the question there is where do the third party set?
0: What are you thinking? Um, I th- yeah, I think you're right in terms of this potentially being a, a kind of partner player that was open table Uber. And I don't know what the, what the ticketing system was, but open table is essentially the global leader in booking tables and Uber is, is Uber. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it seems that it seems that way. Um, I think, in terms of so the two things one was on the branding side and the other was on the what does it mean for third party sort of developers and whatnot so, on the branding side, I think you're right that it will be very odd if you went from one kind of soundscape to another soundscape, and if it was like um I don't know, let's say that you were going to um well, even just take that restaurant as a visit. If you if you weren't open table and Uber and you were uh, the Italian restaurant down the road and uh, the local taxi service, the Italian restaurant down the road has got like Italian music playing and it's got an Italian kind of actor or whatever. And then all of a sudden it goes into a, a kind of like a taxi kind of lot. I think it might be a bit messy in terms of bridging the gap sound wise. But from a branding
2: perspective,
0: what they were showing there is all based on utility, isn't it? Book me a table. Book me a ticket. Get me a taxi. So, in those instances, and there may be more than that. I don't know. But in those instances, is do you think that brand is as important as fulfilling the function? Does it need to sound like Uber if the user ends up with an Uber ride at the end of the interaction?
1: I think in those contexts, absolutely not. Right? If if I'm getting money from this, then don't use any branding you want but the branding matters a a lot less especially if it's coming from a trusted brand like amazon Mm -hmm. certainly if i am imdb so imdb is one of those partners that they mention in the blog post Uh, imdb let's uh, imagine for a second it's not owned by amazon let's imagine that it's a completely different business there if i'm there and i'm just providing that data on how long that movie is Yeah. I want that branding. I'm not, you know, this is something that people shape against so much with Google snippets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Google snippets so often is giving that data without being entirely clear where it's coming from. And I look at that and as a business owner, I go, okay, well what value am I really getting from there? If it's, if people never leave Google and I'm just giving that data, then okay, I'm not really getting much return on investment there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So we'll see. Certainly we are, I think, taking a bit of a skeptical eye, maybe perhaps of a, a cynical eye towards this, but from a technical perspective, from a user experience perspective, this is really awesome. This is really interesting that Amazon can figure out what the user might want to do next. Oh, you're going to see a movie. Yeah, you probably want to eat at a restaurant as well. Let's make sure that you get everything you need to, to make that happen. And, We come back again. We talk about this a lot. The more data that these have, you know, it's a little scary in in this context and this environment, especially, but the more data that they're able to get, the more useful. If Amazon knows that you have a car, they'll provide you with driving directions. If they know that you live in an urban area and you don't have a car, hey, yeah, let's definitely provide you either public transit or Uber uh, Uber option there too so you see and we talked about this i believe on the last rundown with google that this is more and more you start to see the end game even more with these uh, with these platforms with these businesses it's all about becoming your place Hmm. for amazon it's your go-to space everything store for google it's you're the place to search you're the place to to share your email, your calendar, all that information about you. And perhaps we see why, in fact, why Apple isn't expanding this a little more. Uh, If you are buying into the Apple platform because you love the hardware, then does Siri really need to be that good? Uh, Mm. Does it need to do all that that stuff so it gets more information about you? Perhaps not.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think... Um there's another thing on, on this this the uh series side of things. I actually I put a video out, I think it was last week or so, there was saying that Apple and everyone who is really into Apple and all the creators that they kind of like release things for, the vast majority come from the kind of creative space, don't they? video editors, artists, creative people. Yes, there's a lot of developers that love Apple, but it's all around apps, isn't it? And everything's got screen. Everything's screen-based. Every single person, every single developer or creative that is in the Apple ecosystem loves it because, yes, the hardware's fantastic, yes, the software's fantastic, but most people are creating visual stuff. So that's probably what you're going to continue to do is that you're going to continue to go where your current market is you are going to alienate all that lot and say we're going to ditch all this visual stuff and then everything's going to be voice i think that would be a bit of a a kind of a, a bit of a risky move for them to do really um even though that's what i think could be a really good idea for them for for from their for their users perspective um but on the on, on the amazon thing in terms of um what is what is i know i know that we might we might be cynical about it sometimes because i think that's because we're kind of entrenched in the industry and and everyone's selfish at some level so we're thinking well how do we use this you know i mean but you can see how i can see how that plays out though i can see that that was an example with uber and open table but you can bring that down to a more local level i think you know you could have doesn't have to be an aggregator in that position it could be a localized service you know it could be the the uh, cinema up the street, the um, restaurant down the road, and a, and a local taxi service. I think that it doesn't always have to be the big, huge players. It could have scope for for kind of being more local, because you know we uh, we don't have Uber in Tumbridge Wells so that wouldn't work here. And if, if Alexa wants to be everywhere and wants to provide that value for everyone, then something else needs to happen in, in this specific town for that thing to work. So obviously it's got a long way to go, but I think that it's um, the more things that happen like this and the, the better Alexa gets at predicting what you might want to do next or recommending what you might want to do next, then the more opportunities open. Cause that's one of the, that's one of the problems is discoverability, isn't it? If Alexa now knows and is starting to, to understand what a user wants to do next and then can surface the skill that will meet that need that's part of getting around the discoverability so i think there could be opportunities there further down the road yeah there are
1: changing topics a little bit some interesting news i think uh, we we teased it a little bit early on which is a new survey in voice commerce what mm. was this all about
0: so this was. It's not very. It's not very long. So we'll put the link in the in the as we will do to all the other stories. We'll put the link in in the show notes. And it was done by uh, a company called Sumo Heavy, and it's called the 2019 Voice Commerce Survey. It's the current state and future of voice assisted shopping. Um, the the title isn't necessarily the full kind of um breadth of what's, what's in it's not it's not sorry it's not narrow in that respect it actually has quite a lot of stuff in there so we'll, maybe we'll skim through it and we can have a bit of, we'll, we'll touch on it but it's got things in there around around adoption around uh, devices around usage and then it finishes up with a little bit of a uh, voice shopping sort of stuff as well so um as i said we'll put the link in the show notes but there's a few things in here that i found were, were fairly interesting um one is, uh, this is asking people, so they asked a thousand people in America, uh, how often do you use a voice assistant? And what was quite interesting is that 46% of respondents said that they've actually never used a voice assistant before. Is that roundabout what you, what you would kind of concur with, or do you think that it would be typically lower or higher than that? I don't know. Uh,
1: The question I have is, is it never used one or they never use it, right? Is it something where they've used it once or twice and they don't use it anymore? That would be a little scarier uh, for me than if they've never used it. Because the flip side of that is 54% do use it. Uh, Mm -hmm. They do use a voice assistant. And if you think about it, over half of US adults using a voice assistant, uh considering that these voice first devices have been around for a few years now uh about we're looking at about four years for the echo device that's that's still pretty impressive that's mm. still something that I think allows us to be bullish about the the growth of voice
0: what do yeah. you think yeah yeah I, th- I think that that is an opportunity rather than a Um, anything else, you know, if we know that. I mean, they break it down deeper than that. So essentially what they kind of conclude with is that 76% of the, sorry, 65% of the respondents say they never or rarely use voice assistants. So the 46% that never do, there's also 19% that rarely do. Um, So 65% say they rarely use it. 6% say that they use it every month. And then 29% Twenty nine percent use it either daily or weekly. Sixteen percent daily and thirteen percent weekly, which is, um, I think. I think that's interesting. I mean, you, you, the hardcore users are never going to be the majority either immediately. So I think that what I think is is interesting is that there's more than a quarter use it regularly enough for those to be your kind of target market as such. But then the rest of it, in terms of the monthly users or the users that use it rarely or never. The, it just shows, I think, the, the this opportunity, essentially.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing to consider as well is that this is asking specifically about voice assistants. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, voice is not only on voice assistance. We will have an episode coming out soon with Nico Acosta from Twilio where they're doing things that you wouldn't necessarily consider an assistant or certainly a consumer wouldn't consider an assistant, but it's still voice driven. And so you've got voice on mobile increasingly as well. I wouldn't imagine that a consumer would think that when they interact with a Spotify app through voice that they're using an assistant. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: certainly uh, this is one report uh, that maybe differs a little bit from what we've seen before. Maybe it tempers uh, expectations or excitement a little bit, but again, it's just one report, and I think taken broadly, there's still, there's still some space for excitement.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that the more of these reports you read, the more you see that some numbers differ. So I don't think you can ever have a, a research study that is is kind of a hundred percent accurate. So, for example, they also cover in this in this report they look at um, the. Voice assistant usage by um, on a mobile by operating system, and we mentioned in the last rundown that uh, Microsoft's report, the voice report that they released, said that 36% of people that they surveyed use Siri um, regularly, and 36% of people use Google Assistant regularly. Um, so, but on this one, what it's saying is that actually the most common used voice assistant on mobile is Siri. Uh and Android isn't um you know it's it's not used half as much it is half as much but it's not used as much. So every every day 21% of the respondents said that they use Siri, 14% Android, 16% weekly for Siri, 10% weekly for Android. Um what's interesting is that if you look at those who said they've never used it, only 32% of people have said they'd never used Siri, whereas 55% of people said they'd never used Android uh, Google Assistant on Android. However, I've got a bit of a problem with that as well because my dad uses Google Assistant on yeah. Android, but if you ask him if he uses a voice assistant on his smartphone, he'll he'll say no because he doesn't know that that's what it is. Do you know
1: what I mean? What is he, he use it for?
0: Um, well, I think I've told this before where it where was round here and um, we were trying to figure out what turns whiskey, that kind of golden color, And there's something called, uh, what is it called? I can't what it's called now there's some sort of caramelization thing they put in it anyway we we're trying to find out what it is that turns whiskey uh, like brown and we were kind of debating it for a while and, and my dad just whipped his phone out and he, just, he said hey Google what turns whiskey brown and I was like what the hell are you doing talking to your phone oh I do it all the time <laughs> I always do this is miles better so he, but he doesn't know it's Google Assistant or he's using a voice assistant he just thinks he can talk to his phone you know what I mean so that, there might mm. be people who, who are using it but they're not thinking about it in, in the kind of terms that we are do you know what I mean
1: Hmm. yeah yeah it's it's certainly a possibility uh it's always interesting to get more data so this report is definitely interesting uh, Mm. and looking forward to more reports coming as well
0: yeah the one the, the last bit i think that was interesting on um on the voice shopping side of things um so what they said is that the the data that they have reveals that forty two percent of customers who regularly use voice assistance, which is either weekly or daily, have shopped using the medium. So of that twenty nine percent of people um, that have that use voice assistance regularly, forty two percent of them uh, have used it to shop. Now it doesn't tell you that they've used it to complete a transaction because there's another report that Voicebot put together um the consumer adoption report for the usa and i think that was released in february and that found that 40 percent of uh people surveyed or 40 percent of voice assistant users surveyed had used their voice assistant to search for a product so i think that there's some gray lines and some blurred lines around what voice shopping actually is are people saying that it's the transaction or are people saying that it is generally browsing? Mm. Do you know what I
1: mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I've been having conversations with some of our customers at Algolia who are implementing voice in their applications. And one of the things that I hear a lot is that ultimately if people give their credit card details or if they say yes, buy it or they go every single step through voice is indifferent to these people, these, these companies a lot. What they want is they want to be where their customers are when the customers are thinking about their, their vertical or their product, whatever. And voice really helps them do that. And so if they start the research process on voice and then move over to mobile or move over to a website or even come in store, that's fine. That's absolutely okay with them. It's probably more difficult. It's going to be more difficult for them to measure how exactly voice is having an impact there. But the alternative perhaps is the customer thinks about the product and there's something else that's more convenient, or they just stop thinking about the product and don't pursue it any further. So while people may not necessarily be purchasing through voice, the opportunity for them to research more, the opportunity for them to connect with that that company, connect with that brand, is going to be powerful in the long run. So I think we'll I think we'll see and we're seeing it already right if we compare stats from a year ago i'm sure what we'll see is that more people are already shopping through voice uh it's going to be slow for sure but if you think of it more holistically i think there's reason to be bullish here
0: Mm. yeah i think so it's one one thing leads to another, doesn't it? So that, you know we've spoke before about people who have smart speakers. They end up using their voice assistant and their phone a lot more because they get more comfortable with it. Those people end up using their voice assistants everywhere else once they're used to it. Headphones and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just the similar kind of thing. You know, when when you know mobile was first kind of dawning and people were using mobile, they weren't necessarily transacting on mobile. Uh, same thing happened on the web, you know what I mean. So I, I think that when I when I when I did that chat um, at General Assembly last week, I asked everyone who uses a voice assistant, and to be fair, probably I would say 70 to 80 percent of people raised the hand. And then when I asked who's shopped on a voice assistant or bought something, nobody had. And I think that what's interesting is if you rewind a year. When I asked the question, who uses a voice assistant, it wouldn't have been 70 to 80% of people putting the hand up. It would have been 40 to 50 So I think that bit's shifted and what will end up shifting, I reckon this time next year, the next kind of chat that, we'll, that I'll do, or wherever it is, about voice commerce, I think that we'll start to see hands raising. So it's, I think it'll just be a natural progression because the more comfortable you get with something, the more you trust it, don't you? And the more you're more likely mm-hmm. to do whatever it is that, that, uh, that you need to do.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have to keep an eye on it. We'll have to see where it goes.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, this has been fantastic. Dustin, remind us again, where are you speaking next week?
1: Next week, speaking in London. uh, Perhaps we can put the link in the show notes. I don't remember the exact uh, location, but next week I will be in London indeed. The following week I will be in San Francisco and then in Seattle as well. So if you're in any of those three cities, we'd definitely love to meet up with you. I was checking out the RSVP list and got some friends of the show already signed up and hoping to see even more.
0: Fantastic. Sounds good. Well, looking forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if we don't see you on the 20th of June uh, in London, did you get a venue yet sorted?
1: Yeah, got a venue. Got a venue for all the cities. Uh, so if you go to the sign up page, uh, it will have that venue listed out. But again, I don't remember. I just I show up where they tell me to show up. <laughs> so so it's going to be a good venue. I've heard that. Uh, so wherever it is, it will be a fun time.
0: Fantastic. Well, we'll see you there. And we'll see you, if we don't see you there, we'll see you on the next episode of VUX World, which, as Dustin mentioned, is with Nico Acosta of Twilio. And we are having an immense conversation around the technology, strategy, and actually building out a conversational AI, a multi-channel conversational AI, which is absolutely fantastic. So if we don't see you next week, we'll see you on the next episode of VUX World. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.